0: Well, our scripture reading this morning is from Luke chapter 9. As we continue our study uh, series in the Gospel of Luke, we'll be uh, looking at verses 1 through 9 and then 18 through 22. And then next week, we'll take that middle section, which is the feeding of the 5,000, uh, which I think is an appropriate uh, text for before our luncheon. Uh, we'll have uh, a feast of God's Word talking about. Jesus bringing a feast to people and then we'll go have a feast together so it'll all be about a Thanksgiving feast next week but today we're going to see what uh, the passage says about spreading the news of Christ uh, to, the, to the world and uh, proclaiming the truth about Christ to the world so let's read and hear God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others, that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word to us this morning. Well, in verse 20, Jesus asks his disciples a question that is of utmost importance for us all to consider and honestly answer today. And that question, that question is this: But who do you say that I am? The way the verse is constructed in the original language lays the stress on you. Usually, when they in the Greek verbs, you can tell uh, what the subject is. When it's uh, you, you don't even have to write you. But for emphasis, Luke and what Jesus is saying here uh, is he he puts the he puts you in there. So he actually says you twice. In fact, one translator, uh, one commentator who translated it wrote it this way, but you, who do you say that I am? So that's the emphatic question that is asked of the disciples and is asked of us today as well. Who do you say that Jesus is? Now notice that the question isn't, who is Jesus to you? In our day of relativism, people construct for themselves religions that work for them. Uh, The question we're asking is, who is Jesus objectively, not subjectively? We're not creating our own truth here to suit our own desires. What we want to do is look at the evidence and truth about Jesus' life and his works and his teachings and the claims he made about himself, to take an honest look at those matters and to ask ourselves, what conclusions should I, should you make about Jesus when we examine the evidence given to us in God's word? After all, Luke reiterates in chapter 1 of his gospel, this gospel account, that he has been carefully researching this life of Jesus and his teachings so that we can have certainty about these things. It's not just what we feel about them or what we think about them or what we want to believe about them, but what is the truth. Notice also that the question isn't who do you think or believe Jesus is in your heart and mind. That's an important question, yes. But the question question Jesus Jesus asks goes a step step further. Who do you confess confess Jesus to be? Who do you you say that I am am, is what Jesus is. is. Who do you you say say that I am? What's your profession? Yes, we must have the correct belief and understanding about who Jesus is. That's That's step step number one. one. But we can't stop Stop there. What do do we we say to other people? in reference to who Jesus is. What's our confession? Well, the disciples had been sent out with power, it tells us here, and authority, the authority of Christ over all demons and to cure diseases. There, verse 1 and 2, he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. They made a proclamation. They professed it. They confessed it before people. They, they, they did it publicly through the villages proclaiming the good news about Jesus. A news report should be the facts of what is going on in the world. Much different than our news today, which is more full of opinion than anything else. But news, strictly speaking, is just the facts. What happened? So the disciples were sharing the news, the facts about Jesus and his kingdom. And they were demonstrating the nature of that kingdom as they did the same things that Jesus did. Healing the sick. Casting out demons, victorious over evil. That's the kind of kingdom that Jesus is ushering in. One that reverses the curse that was placed on the, on the world because of sin. Illness and death and evil all being eradicated. See, the disciples had a story to tell and they told it accurately so people could respond to it appropriately. That's why it's important for us to ask this question. Who do you say that Jesus is? Do you understand who Jesus is objectively, accurately, and are you responding appropriately to that truth? Who do you say Jesus is, and are you responding to him appropriately? That's the question Jesus asked his disciples then, and it's the question that we must consider today. Now, just as in Jesus' day, There is much opinion and confusion confusion concerning the person of Jesus. You'll see it. They've said it twice here. Verse 18, uh, when he asked, who do the crowds say that I am? Well, some say that you're John the Baptist, uh, risen from the dead. Others say that you're Elijah or one of the other prophets like Jeremiah. So there was a lot of opinion going on about who Jesus was, and Herod heard this, and Herod repeats the same line. Who is this? He'd heard that some people were saying, that's John raised from the dead, some that Elijah had appeared, others that one of the prophets had risen. It's verse 8, 7, and 8. So today, same way. Who do people say that Jesus is? Some say he was uh, just one of the many prophets. He was certainly a preacher. Uh, some say that he's just a great teacher. Some say that uh, he's uh, one of the best examples that we could follow All these things have a a bit of truth to them, but they don't really capture who Jesus was. They shortchange him in those descriptions. So there was a lot of confusion going on, and Herod uh, encounters this confusion. We see him uh, kind of the embodiment of confusion and curiosity, kind of like people today. Maybe there's some people who are curious about christ you know people tend to be in our day curious about spirituality spiritual things not necessarily christianity and jesus is just one of the many options out there kind of like herod he's looking and he's heard a lot about jesus and what's going on especially once the disciples go out and they start doing the same things jesus did it's it's multiplied times 12 So they're going throughout all these villages and they're preaching and the the word is spreading and people are being healed and demons are being cast out. And so Herod hears about all this and he's wondering, he's perplexed. That word means he's at a loss. He has no answers. He doesn't know who Jesus is and he's got a bit of a guilty conscience about John. I'll get to that in a moment Uh, because in, in Matthew 14... Uh, you see that, that uh, Herod actually embraces one of the theories about who Jesus is. Verse Matthew 14, one, At the time Herod the tetrarch, tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus and he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. This is, that is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. Well, that's, that's odd because John the Baptist never did any miracles. He preached repentance and he baptized people. But that's what Herod was going with. Now, who is Herod? There's a lot of Herods in the New Testament. Let's sort through that real real quickly because we want to think about him and his response to who he thought Jesus was. Well, if you back up about four generations, Herod, this is Herod the Tetrarch or Herod Antipas. His father was Herod the Great. And then there was two others. So Antipater was the original Herod in that line, and they were from a place called Idumea. Idumea is Edom, and Edomites were the descendants of Esau, Jacob and Esau. The Israelites were the children of Jacob, Israel. The Idumeans, or the Edomites, were the descendants of Esau. So, during the Maccabean dynasty, this is the period between the the Old Testament and the New Testament, there was a ruling uh, ruling, uh, uh, family called the Maccabees in Israel, and at at a certain point, about a hundred years before Jesus arrives on the scene, uh, the, the Jews conquered Idumea, and they forced them to convert to Judaism. So, The person that was over the Jews, over Israel at the time, he placed Antipater as the governor of this region. And that's where the Herod ruling family came into being. So Antipater had another son, and then Herod the Great took over. Herod the Great is that Herod that is in power when Jesus is born, He's the one who seeks to put Jesus to death. He slaughters the innocents in and around Jerusalem trying to seek out this one that the wise men told him about. And we'll be talking about this in the coming weeks as we celebrate Christmas. So that was Herod the Great. And, of course, after Jesus was born, shortly after Jesus Jesus was born, he dies. Herod the Great had four sons, one of which is Herod Antipas, this Herod we have before us today who has a, the biggest part to play of all the Herods in the New Testament. So this Herod Antipas uh, was not a savory character at all, if, you've, if you're familiar with the New Testament. He stole the wife of his brother, Herodias. We read about this in the New Testament. So he marries his br- brother's wife and he is condemned by John the Baptist. John the Baptist tells him that it is not right for him to do this thing with Herodias, his, his wife, his brother's wife, and now his wife. Herodias and Herod don't like John the Baptist at all, but but Herod is intrigued by John the Baptist, knows that he's a holy and righteous man, and protects him until that one fateful party where Herodias' daughter dances for the guests at this feast, and Herod, in in his uh, bravado, says, I'll give you anything you ask, up to half my kingdom, whatever you want. And so she says, I want the head of John the Baptist. And because he was there and he didn't want to be embarrassed, he has John the Baptist beheaded in prison. Totally unnecessary, totally selfish. Well... Herod must have a guilty conscience because he's worried that John the Baptist is coming back from the dead all the time. And he hears about all that Jesus is doing and he says, this must be John the Baptist. And it says here that he wants to see him and he's going to get his chance. But before that, we fast forward a few chapters here in Luke 13, he's going to try to kill Jesus Luke 13:31. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, to Jesus, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And Jesus said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons, and perform cures today, and tomorrow, and the third day. I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today, and tomorrow, and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem." So Herod is seeking to kill him, and Jesus brands him. This is the only person that Jesus ever addresses with contempt in Scripture. He calls him a fox, which is an unsavory character. Sly as a fox. Herod was underhanded. He was violent. And so he says, go tell that fox. You can't tell me what to do. You can't thwart God's plan like your father tried to do. Herod the Great, when he, tried to, when he killed all the babies in Jerusalem. I've got to do what i am come to do, and I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it at Jerusalem. And I'm going to do it in the way that it is planned. And you don't have anything to say about it, Herod. And then, of course, he does get his opportunity uh, to meet Jesus, Luke 23. Pilate has Jesus arrested, and, of course, and he finds out that He belongs to Herod's jurisdiction, so he sends Jesus over to Herod, who happened to be in Jerusalem at the time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him, because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him, and Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day, for before this they had been at enmity with each other. Herod had a curiosity about Jesus and just wanted to see something amazing. And Jesus did not answer him a word. When Jesus won't answer you, that's a bad place to be. And Herod was in a very, very bad place. And of course, Herod shows the evil of his heart when he treats Jesus with contempt and mocks him. See, Herod did not want anyone to challenge his kingdom, his little small kingdom. He was not very important. I mean, he was under the Romans. He didn't have a whole lot of real power. But he didn't want this challenge to his kingdom. That's why he seeks to kill Jesus. He knew that Jesus had done great things, but he did not rightly identify Jesus as the true king and submit to the true king. He didn't want a challenge to his own personal kingdom. And isn't that just like us today? We don't want someone else telling us what to do, how to live our lives Some people today have a passing curiosity about Jesus and they would love for Jesus to do something fantastic for them. I would love for Jesus to show me a sign, you know, help me out of a problem. We call call on him when we get in trouble. But to recognize who Jesus truly is and to submit and bow the knee, that's, that's the answer to the question. Who do you say Jesus is? Peter got it right. Herod got it wrong. What does Peter say? Verse 20, Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, The Christ of God. A very simple, straightforward answer. What does it mean, the Christ of God? The word Christ is uh, the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew term Messiah. The anointed one, that's what it literally means. Christ is the one anointed to come and be the savior of his people. Disciples preached and Jesus preached. The kingdom of God is at hand. He was ushering in a new kingdom, a new regime. The, the world had been under the power of Satan because of sin entering the world and all the brokenness that comes to the earth because of the curse of sin, death, sickness, war, everything that's, that's wrong in our lives and in our history, and in our world, Jesus came to change all that, to reverse the curse. The kingdom of God is coming in, is changing people's hearts, changing their lives, freeing from, them from the bondage to sin, giving them true freedom. And he does so, as he says, through his death, his life death, and resurrection. He came and did something for us and he is going to complete that process when he returns again. In a, couple of, well, in a couple of weeks, we'll be singing Joy to the World. I'm sure if you've gone to Walmart, you probably already heard it over the loudspeakers, probably since September. But Joy to the World is actually not a Christmas song, it's a, it's a psalm, uh, it's a translation of a psalm or a paraphrase of a psalm, Psalm 92. But Isaac Watts, joy to the world. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. Why will heaven and nature sing? Because no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. He's coming to reverse the curse. He's coming to free us from all the problems that sin has caused in the world. He's going to usher in his kingdom in his fullness when he returns again. He is the Christ of God, the one that is chosen, the one that is anointed to do this great work, and he's returning again. We call this coming season Advent season. We celebrate, yes, the first coming, but the real purpose of Advent is to to look forward to the second coming of Christ. He came the first time to deal with a sin problem and he's coming next time to bring us all into the new heavens and new earth to eradicate sin completely, it will no longer be present nor any of the things that come from it, the problems that come from it. So is Jesus, who is Jesus? Is he the Christ? If he is, how should we respond to him? What would be the appropriate response? Is it just like Herod? Oh, we'd love for you to do something for us, Jesus. But don't don't invade my space. Don't uh, ask too much of me. If Jesus is who he says he is and, and what Peter confesses him to be, then we should bow the knee. We should humble ourselves before him. We should turn from our own sinful way, our own rebellion against him, and submit to him and worship him and serve him. It's really the only appropriate response to his majesty, the true king. So who do you say Jesus is? He was a great teacher, a prophet, sure, a preacher. He was a great example for sure. Some people don't even think he existed. That's a dangerous position to take. No, he's the Christ of God, the Messiah, the one who's come to set us free may the lord grant us grace to turn from our own way and to put our lives in his hands. And something we need to do every day. You know, even as believers, we tend to grab the reins and want to do things our own way and maybe we even forget him sometimes. But this is a call to just remember on a daily basis who it is that is our Messiah, who it is that is the Christ, who it is that is the one who sets us free, who who holds the future, our future, in his hands. Come to Christ. Confess him in your heart and then before men, just as the disciples did, to go forth and tell this great news. This is great news that we have someone who has saved us and who is going to come again and everything is going to be beyond all thought and imagination that we can muster in our sinful condition. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this encouraging word. Lord, we pray that we would all understand more clearly who you are. Uh, Jesus, we pray that we would know exactly who you are and that we would respond to you in an appropriate way. Lord, we pray that you would help us to humble ourselves before you, because that's what's called for, to repent of our sin and to to say to you, Not my will, but your will be done. Lord, help us to understand that you always have our best interests at heart. You love us so much, and you want to save us, you want to bless us, you want to bring us home with you forever and ever. We pray that that would be our hope today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.